This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 124. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lom Ramiyasha, and today we are going to talk about a new series that we love, Love Me For Who I Am. A series starring a non-binary protagonist attending and working at a maid cafe for feminine presenting people. It's really, really fantastic, and we had a fantastic guest on to talk about the manga with us. Pretty much the ambassador for the series on manga Twitter, Ashley from Anime Herald. And it was a fantastic conversation that I'm really excited for you guys to listen to. We haven't done one of these in a while. Talk about the first volume of a newly released manga. And this is coming out right on time for when the manga is coming out. So I'm very, very excited for you guys to listen to this and hopefully go pick the book out. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I-, I was just about to ask if the volume was already out by the time we put this up. I mean, it's already available digitally. And basically, by the time you listen to this, it will be available in print. All right. We've timed the release just right for that. Oh, man, finally. But yeah, I'm sure we'll leave links in the show notes for anyone who needs some directions as to, you know, where they can f- uh, find their copy or whatnot. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure most people know where to buy their books at this point, but it always helps to leave links just in case. Personally, I, I bought my digital copy through uh, through Bookwalker. It's pretty much Bookwalker's like the easiest place for me to buy digital copies of most of my manga at this point when i'm not using viz we're not we're not being paid by bookwalker to say this i'm i'm legitimately just saying bookwalker is a very easy service to use and i i i really i really enjoy using their service so but uh i had a lot of fun with this conversation too and i i really enjoyed uh reading the first volume of this so definitely go check it out but uh before we move right into our conversation uh, we just want to give a quick shout out to a new patron of ours over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, we would like to welcome Brigitte to the manga mavericks Patreon. I'm really hoping I pronounced your name right. Uh, they were so kind enough on Patreon to let me know that uh, their name is supposed to be a French pronunciation. And I definitely did not have to look up any videos ahead of time to try to figure out how to pronounce <laughs> that. So... Uh, Brigitte, uh, welcome to the Manga Mavericks Patreon, and uh, and yeah, we really want to thank you for your support. Yeah, thank you so much. And so, yeah, if you want to be like Brigitte and uh, get a shout out on the show, uh, but basically when you sign up for our Patreon at any tier, you know, you, you basically get a shout out on the show. Basically, on on the closest episode of the podcast we happen to be recording at the time you sign up. So, uh, yeah, we'll. You know, if you sign up for our Patreon, uh, we'll definitely shout you out. And so, yeah, uh, again, thank you, Brigitte, for that. And uh, I don't think we have anything else to talk about at the top of the show here for uh, for now. So uh, I think we could just get right into it. Mm hmm. Let's get right into the love. I 
non-binary maid is reporting for duty, then this non-binary podcaster is reporting the podcast about it. Today, we are discussing Kata Konayama's Love Me For Who I Am, a series about a lonely non-binary kid who is invited to work at a maid cafe for Otoko Noko, or basically, as described in the manga, guys dressed as girls, just very loosely, and while there, finds an accepting community who loves them for who they are. And on the show to talk about the series with us is someone who has championed it for quite a while, the ambassador of Love Me For Who I Am on manga Twitter. We have Ashley from Anime Herald. Thank you for coming on. Um, thank you. It's nice to be here. That That's quite the setup for someone who just started screaming about a manga on Twitter for a year straight. <laughs> but I'll take it. But that screaming raised awareness of the series, I think. I mean, I learned about it from your tweets, and I really, really wanted to read it based off of those tweets. And I waited until this first volume came out earlier this month here in English from Seven Seas, but I mean, I have been so excited you know, since reading your tweets. I, I was exchanging emails with Seven Seas when it was being licensed, and they actually told me that one of my long... one of my I did an initial long thread when I first discovered this in Scanlations, and they said they had noticed things like that. Also, other people having conversations as well, but that was part of the reason to take notice of this manga. So if yeah. you find something niche that you love, keep screaming about it and get other people to look at it, and maybe other licensing companies will take notice. Totally. That's how you raise visibility for series, especially series that might be considered niche. And it's successful, like pretty much exactly two years after it debuted in Comic Midu, uh, we got the first volume. So that's a really great turnaround. I, I've seen others do better. Uh, what was it? My Androgynous Boyfriend, I think is how that English translated title. They licensed that one after like three chapters. Wow. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, wow. That's why when uh, this manga got the 16 chapters, like, they're never going to license this. I got to give up. Oh, but they did. This isn't even the first time I've seen this kind of thing happen. I remember, uh, I mean, I'm going to say allegedly it was our it was our good friend and contributor, Sakaki, from the uh, WSS Talkback Shonen Sunday blog thing that uh, possibly may or may not have gotten the Yankees license because he had a very, very viral tweet that one time. And then uh, it felt like it didn't take too long for it to get licensed after that. Social media buzz works. Some things you just need to get people to look at. Mm -hmm. And we want to get more people to look at this series because 
It really is such a special series that does some things that we don't often see in manga. Oh, absolutely. I guess, Ashley, if you want to dig into, like, what first caught your eye on this series and then basically has led you to gush about it pretty much every day since then. Oh, God. This is, uh, okay. I was on Danboru looking up the cross-dressing boy tag and one of the (laughs) cover arts, because the artist uh, posts it to uh, Pixiv and their other sites without all the graphics on it. There is a series tag on it, and I eventually just followed the tag to find the ship, find the manga, scan it, and I downloaded it, and then I didn't read it for about three months. And the reason for that is, well, I have, I like my share of BL, I like my, like, femboys with masculine protagonists kind of angle on BL, and this cover didn't super stand out to me. And then I, I would ask to mm-hmm. say that this is probably the weakest part of this manga, is this cover. If you look at volume one, you have... Pink hair and a maid dress. Love me for who I am. I have the Japanese one in front of me right now because I don't have my English copy physically delivered yet because it's not shipped yet. But if I saw this in a dealer's room, I would not know if this is a Moe series or some kind of BL series. And there's a lot of just like, let's call it cross-dressing BL porn. It it doesn't stand out as being terribly remarkable. Mm, See, that's interesting because... At first, I thought you were talking about the volume for the English release, and I was going to say, I don't know, that, that... I feel like that would, like capture my attention right away possibly it's it's the same cover with the with the cookies yeah, right yeah. With the uh, gender cookies yeah i just think if you're looking at this if you're in a dealer's room at a convention and you just see like rows and rows of manga this doesn't quickly tell you what's inside mm-hmm. of it i think if you haven't read it for sure it might be something that you'd pass on personally i love the cover because i do think that It does say a whole lot with this image that Mogumo is sitting, you know, on the floor surrounded by all these cookies that are, you know, of course, these different symbols for male and female gender. And the cookie that they have chosen to eat, though, is just this white cookie, which is not either one of those. Yeah, you actually can't see which symbol it is. Because the uh, the tip is yeah. in the mouth, and also they have pink and blue sprinkles. Yeah, but I, I like that symbolism of it. And I think that the look Mogumu gives is not like a teasing look. It's kind of like a pensive look that also kind of explores and addresses, you know, their kind of confusion. But also that they, you know, are looking for acceptance. And so I, I really like this cover a lot, actually. But... I do feel that, yeah, if people are anti-Moe, they would, might pass on the series because of it. I also just don't think, like, at a glance, you don't realize this could be, like, the queerest manga you may have ever read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That said, I don't know what would possibly communicate that on the cover. So it's it's not an attack on it. I just mean, like, at a glance, this could be easy to miss. Mm -hmm. And so it sat on my hard drive in scanlations for about three months. I read through the old manga Prunus Girl, which is like a... from... Ooh, Joker. It's a BL cross-dressing manga that was... It's from, like, 2010. I, I went through the scanlations of that, which never got licensed except in French. And then eventually I start opening this up, and I'm like, okay, cool. I don't know what this is. It's probably just some cute nonsense. Like, it's just fluffy, harmless. Probably some BL story. And only a few chapters in, you realize this main character is using a gender-neutral bathroom, and I've never seen a gender-neutral bathroom in a manga before. Oh, yeah, me neither. That was, that was definitely mm-hmm. surprising for me, too. At that point, I'm in a Discord server for the Anime Herald, and so my friends are, I'm like, posting screenshots, like, guys, hang on. 
I have never seen a gender-neutral vacuum before. And you keep reading, and uh, as the plot goes, uh, Magumo is feminine, but technically leans more for cute than specifically feminine. There's a, a fun plot point on that, I think, uh, in mm-hmm. the later half of Volume 1. But, uh, yeah, this boy, uh, Tetsu, it, he doesn't really know Magumo's background story. He thinks he's just, like, there, sorry, just this cross-dressing boy. They use male pronouns initially. But invites them to work at this uh, cafe that their sister works, runs. And it is an Otokonoko cross-dressing girly boy cafe. And Otokonoko is a weird word in Japanese because it actually is, like, really broad definitions based on context. Mm-hmm. Most anime fans mm-hmm. just read Otokonoko as meaning cross-dresser. But it has this generally broad definition to all of transgenderism like trans women can be otokonoko and also trans women just because of how it's really a hard word to use frankly and i'm not even gonna mm. pretend i know all of its potential uh implications yeah, they even mention in um in the first volume that uh the character that uses uh that word first is uh technically using a more narrower meaning in, in the yeah. word essentially but in the end, it's basically, this is, a, this is a girly boy cafe, and Magumo's like, boy, wait, no, no, I'm not a boy at this cafe, I'm not a boy. And there is this immediate breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, most manga would be like, oh no, I don't want to cross-dress, or oh yay, cross-dressing. We're like discussing the usage of like male versus female pronouns, and having a breakdown and locked in the bathroom, and crying with these. This manga has some amazingly gut-wrenching cry faces. Oh yeah. I'd love to make an Ahigo t-shirt that's actually just the cry faces from this manga. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Speaking of things that might be taken out of context. Yeah, that like, no, 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 this is just children crying. Wait, that's worse. <laughs> Please don't kick me out of the convention. <laughs> but I, I really, like, this manga is so many horrible cry faces, and I love that. So we're just posting these things in, in Discord, and other friends like, oh, wow, I gotta read this. Like, you... You have to look at this. This is talking about queer stuff. And, oh, the woman who runs this place is tra- transsexual. We're looking at these backgrounds. And, yeah, it goes to these depths I've never seen in a manga before. And I realized the only way you really get people to notice this is to start screaming about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is special because, for one thing, I-, I don't see a ton of series with non-binary protagonists that, you know, are about them exploring their gender. And this series does a lot of amazing things, exploring different modes of gender expression under this umbrella term for, like, all these characters Mm -hmm. to congregate. It explores, like, just different ways people express their gender and sexuality, and I think that's just so amazing. And it's also a view at... I'm I'm certain it's a very narrow and limited view, because anime and manga tends to be kind of through the... like, Like, looking at the world through beer goggles, it's a little idealized. But this is one of the first views I've seen of Japanese queer culture represented in a manga. Most manga will look at, at their most, like these really personal stories of queer characters, but you're not looking at like broader senses of queer culture mm. and how characters are dealing with, a range of characters are dealing with things in their daily lives and such. So it's actually mm-hmm. one of the first few glimpses I've seen of Japanese queer culture, which is not a culture I'm ever going to confess to be an expert on. I've just realized I've learned enough to know I know basically nothing about it. Mm. <laughs> Trying to get that point of the whole Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is like a very broad community, so there's a lot to learn about. But you've talked about this a lot, but it is so rare to see Pride as an event represented in a manga. Yeah, in Volume 3, they will actually go to Tokyo Rainbow Pride. Um, I was even looking through the 
the pixel box for the artist who makes this, and they mention going to Pride. Like, and it's difficult to understand through machine translation. I don't speak Japanese, but it seems like this artist has been there more than once to uh, go to Tokyo Pride. But yeah, they're talking about like coming with alternate names because they every manga has to rename whatever they're looking at from the actual real branded name. But there's the Rainbow Arch, and I've had, I have friends in Japan who've like I've seen that arch. That is actually at Tokyo Rainbow Pride. And That's outside, awesome. like we're talking about Volume Three, which is not in English yet, but there will be. Characters will look and see a, a petition for same-sex marriage. They'll see, like, drag queens and half-naked dudes, and where it's, like, all these just other queer couples opening the holding hands in public, which they normally can't do in most of Japan. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything like that in manga. Usually when people talking about anime and manga being gay, it's Sailor, Mar- uh, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune. Like, we're really specific couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, queer characters in other series, you know, they exist but they're kind of in their own world where it's not like they're dealing with like the outside pressures of the yeah. world it's like their story of like coming out or like being in a relationship and this manga is actually addressing issues that affect like the real queer community in Japan like issues that they would realistically you know be thinking about and dealing with at least i hope so mm-hmm. not knowing a tremendous amount of japanese queer culture i hope this is accurate you don't you don't know entirely like what the what the author's base of knowledge is and stuff. I'm not entirely sure what the author's actual backstory is. Mm-hmm. We we went digging. They're they're mm-hmm. not specific about their gender at this point, but most of their social media was nuked prior to the manga coming out. They did other artworks and stuff, so I they don't use any specific pronouns, but they don't state that they're X gender or anything. I had previously read that they were X gender, but I after looking into that, I couldn't find anything concrete about that. I think someone just assumed and said that to me, and I thought it was right. Mm-hmm. But in actually looking at it more directly, it's like, there's no confirmation of this. The the author's been to Pride. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really respect that the author is doing so much research and is writing about real topics in such a sensitive and resonant way. And it's kind of amazing that their initial premise was so different, kind of like what you, you know, had said you might assume from the cover. Uh, in the afterward, like, they described that originally Mogumu was going to be kind of like more of a flirty character with Tatsu and Kotonoe, and it was going to be like a love triangle, gender bender comedy. And then, like, the final series is so completely different because the author did research on nine binary people and the community and then wrote a story that was really empathetic and really understanding of our feelings. The relationships are more believable too. Like again, oh, if you're yeah. looking at like a softer BL or like let's go, let's go with BL adjacent title for lack of a better term. Characters tend to be like, oh this person's a boy, but they're really pretty. I guess I like them anyway. That's like as complicated as dealing with this relationship can be for the characters to accept. But instead, uh, yeah. it's volume two, I think, where uh, Tetsuo, not Tetsuo, Tetsu, <laughs> Tetsu will form, uh, starts forming a relationship with Mogumo, and they're actually having difficulty processing this, realizing that they're having romantic attractions that are less than heterosexual. And they start thinking mm-hmm. about like media representations of non-heterosexual relationships, like, he's actually like, looking at the TV, looking at this cheesy example of, like, some over-the-top homosexual thing in some TV show he's watching. He's like, he's like was the world always this constrained? Like, he's, he's legitimately struggling with this. It's not that he doesn't like Mabumo or is having trouble, but it's just, his reality is changing. 
And he, like, breaks mm-hmm. down and cries, and his sister holds him, and there's, like, a whole scene for that. Oh, man. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting the way Tatsu's, you know, sexuality and him trying to understand it was explored in just this first volume. I think that, you know, because Tatsu is wondering, am I attracted to Mokomo because they are feminine, or do I like boys? I think that, I don't know if, like, it comes to this conclusion, but... It reads to me that Tatsu may be Pan, but he is in love with Mogumu regardless, like, of their gender expression and just them for themselves. But he's worried because he's seen, like, the discrimination and insults hurled at his sister, Mm -hmm. and he's afraid of coming out to that same kind of abuse. And I can definitely really resonate with, like, that feeling of being afraid to come out because of potential Mm -hmm. harassment. Yeah, it's like his sister and the restaurant she runs was like this queer world he was able to exist mostly adjacent to. And now he's realizing he's actually kind of in this. And and Mm -hmm. being in it is different than being like next to Yeah, initially he thinks of himself, oh, I have to be an ally because he loves his sister, but he sees like how... You know, she has talked about behind her back, like, they're passing these girls by the street who, like, you know, insult her. Yeah. And that hurts him. And then he also sees Mogumu as someone alone and someone who kind of needs help. And so he wants to help them as well. And then realizes that his feelings for them are more than just friendship. Like, he is yeah, it's not just empathy. in love with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really like that evolution of their character. I also like, I I mean, I appreciate that he is not completely fully like aware of like how to be respectful. Or he's learning. Like, yeah, I mean, you said earlier that initially that characters weren't addressed by specific gender in the original Japanese. In the Ooh. English translation, we see Tatsu refer to Mogumu initially as a he before changing to day. I was wondering, is that something from the original Japanese? Or yeah, is... it's it seems to be. Like, basically, when hmm. Tatsu initially knows Mogumu, Mogumu is just this cross-dressing boy in his school. Like, that. that's the hmm. entire, you don't know this person so you just go by what you heard from seeing them and passing in the hallways. But then when they do, he does get to learn, meet Mogumo. They realize, I totally lost track of what well, I was saying. Well, I was saying. also wondering uh, how Tatsu addresses his sister, because... There is a good scene in Chapter 2 about that. Pretty much through uh, most of Volume 1, most of the characters do dance around pronouns, but it's really easy to not use gender-specific pronouns in Japanese. You can just re- refer to yourself as, like, Mogumo-chan or Sachan, like self-referentially, you can not use a pronoun, and it's not even a particularly strange use of the language. Kind of like referring to yourself in the third person, almost. Mm. Yeah, and even certain pronoun pronouns like watashi, atashi, boku, ore. Boku is most Western fans understand it as typically being a masculine pronoun, but it's become increasingly a gender-neutral pronoun, particularly amongst younger people in Japan. Interesting. Okay. And it's, again, not necessarily a non-binary pronoun. It's just a pronoun you can kind of use either way. Mm. As it was explained to me is mm. that Japanese children will more like more, more commonly use boku either way. And then as they get older, more younger women just keep using it. And it's not like a gendered thing. It's just not very specific. That's interesting. Okay. 
And that gets into one of the challenges of English and Japanese. In English, you will typically see pronouns of she, he, uh, she, her, they, them, he, him. And they are very specific and used for very specific reasons. Whereas with mm-hmm. Japanese, you can be all kinds of wishy-washy with it. And it's quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, you can be as vague as you want and whatnot, I'm sure. But that said, throughout all of Volume 1, Tetsu will refer to Sachan as Onichan, like as Big Brother. Oh, okay. And mm. at the scene where Tetsu breaks, and they have like the sexuality discussion, and like Sachan is like hugs him and is very supportive. After that, he actually says, maybe I should call you on, on, uh, Onechan. And she is like beaming. So mm. even the usage of pronouns in their own family is slowly shifting. And I'm sure that's more not that he sees Sachan as a guy, but like this is how I've always referred to my sibling as, and I just kept referring to them as that. And then I realized I really should be saying Onechan. Mm. Yeah, totally. I like that detail, like that it does take some time for Tatsu to change how he addresses Sachan. I, I'm glad to see that there is an evolution in the way that he addresses mm-hmm. her. And she's pretty much on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. And before then, Sachan is basically avoiding just dancing around the usage of really specific pronouns. Because, Like I said, that's easy to do in Japanese. And God, mm-hmm. that makes it hard for some of the stuff to translate. Another wild example is, we should really go over the, all the characters pretty soon, but Mogumo, oh, yeah. in the Japanese text, Mogumo and Mei, Mogumo is, non, is non-binary, Mei is transsexual, they use different spellings of Boku in the Japanese text. And I've had people look at it, and they're not entirely sure what the implication of that is. And it's not something even said verbally you pick up on. It's literally, uh, it's, it's different between using the kanji and the kata, but it, it's kind of just amazing what you can do with Japanese language when talking about gender, especially from such a gendered society. That's really interesting that the language allows different nuances in gender Mm. expression. I really like Mei's coming out in this volume too. Initially, she is really protective of the being able to call herself an Atokonoka because she wants to be seen as a girl, but she hasn't reconciled yet that she has a male body. And so she thinks that, you know, I want to be a girl, but I'm a boy. But like being here, I can use this term Tokonoko to like be more closer to how I want to be seen and treated. But then after doing away with like the introduction and then just allowing herself to be herself. I really love the way that she gleams at the thought of, can I be called her? And like, she's wearing like this sparkly princess outfit and she's like glowing. And then when she is reassured, that costume returns and she is again in like that princessly outfit. I I really, I also haven't really seen someone's view of their own like, gender and then fully embracing coming out as trans happen in a manga either yeah and i really appreciated that too and let's just use this as a chance to go through the characters and we'll just we'll just start with may because here we are yeah i don't know if coming out is the right word it seems that may was already dressing as a girl outside of the op- outside of work and is doing this in everyday mm-hmm. life it's more like an acceptance between like May is a transgender person who is different from a girl to like, actually, I am a girl. They're like, like this mm. othering that she had internalized and isn't uncommon in, in Japanese society when looking at queer stuff. But again, we're getting into nuance, which I will concede I don't completely comprehend. But there was some sort of othering she was believing in, which is common. 
to really like, actually, no, I'm, I am a girl with this kind of history, not just like a boy who wants to be a girl, I think is, oh, I feel like I'm mushing words, but they're concepts that I don't fully understand from Japanese and are also just difficult to then express in English because they don't, they don't really exist in, in Western queer culture, yeah. I don't think. But yeah, there's definitely acceptance of like, I'm not just other. Right. I think she just didn't have the confidence to like fully be confident in saying that she is yeah. a girl. So she kind of was stuck in this in-between state where she had to begrudgingly tell herself that she was a boy in order to, you know, then go out and, you know, perform being a girl. But then eventually she just realizes, no, I can just be a girl and be accepted as that. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure out the scene is in volume one. This is the problem when you're reading like chapter by chapter online, just trying to remember which volume everything was in. There's still a scene <laughs> where Kotone comes into the change room and the rest of the characters are in there. And she's actually like, hey, there's a girl in here, guys. Which she included herself in as not being one of the girls. Hmm. And that must have happened in volume two. I guess. I have the books here, but it's, like it's hard to remember which chapters are which. I think it was when Katoni was over to help them sew new costumes, which I think is volume two. Hmm. Anyway, yeah. May, who is our young trans character, like just actually mm -hmm. just trans, and is eventually revealed yeah. that she doesn't go to school, she does homeschooling, so that's probably again related to the trans thing. She lives at home with all this stuff, so her parents are apparently completely on board. Not that you see many parents in manga. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so far I don't think we've seen any of the characters' parents in this first volume. I know from in later uh, chapters that Mogamos might show up, or... You'll see their, their sister, brother, and mother around chapter 20 or so. What's interesting okay. is around chapter, I think it's about 18 or so, Uh, Tetsu and Sachan mentioned their mother and that Magumo just missed meeting them. And I'm like, wait, whoa, hang on. You have not mentioned having parents before this chapter. And now we don't get to see one of <laughs> at least one of your parents who apparently exists. Because those two seem to live together. I figured it's that classic, you know, our parents are abroad or whatever. We're living alone with my older sister, which is like such an anime trope, just so you don't have to write parents. <laughs> But yeah, apparently they live with their mother. Okay. She's not appeared. She was never mentioned before chapter 18 or 19. Want to see how that goes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess next look at Mogumo. Uh, Mogumo is our titular non-binary character. And from a glance, I think it's easy to look at this non-binary character and say, like, okay, they're non-binary, but they just dress like a girl. And that's really not true if, if you pay closer attention. Mogumo likes really cute things and not so much feminine things, though those two concepts generally overlap. Mm -hmm. In chapter mm -hmm. one, probably the biggest thing is the uh, the chapter with the shoes, mm. where Katono actually recommends yeah. these like more appropriate feminine shoes, and uh, Magumo just just like, no, I want these stupid cute shoes, which actually <laughs> hurt so much. Halfway through a workday, they collapse because your feet are covered in blisters. Oh yeah. And outside of work, their fashion sense is more like dumb stuff from a thrift store. <laughs> yeah, they have to consult May for like really feminine clothing they later that. on in the volume. Yeah. That is great. May is like, oh, I got all this cool feminine stuff you can try and this, and, and Tetsu will really like this, and, and clearly Magumo doesn't think this stuff is really them. Like, they, right. they legitimately look like they are they are in a costume. Yeah, they're unhappy, because they don't want to wear, like, those clothes. They want to wear what they like, and, I mean, Magumo 
initially accepted Tatsu's offer to uh, work at Question because they wanted to wear a maid costume. They just thought maid costumes were cute. Yeah. But like, towards the back half of Volume 1, Mogumo is feeling kind of guilty that she is put Tatsu in a position or that is causing him trouble and other people trouble and feels like, if I were just a girl, maybe I wouldn't be causing people trouble. And so that's why they are trying to perform like a girl, be seen as one, even though they don't want to be either. And thankfully that doesn't have to go terribly far. Clearly Tetsu likes Mogumo for who they are. And yeah, <laughs> there's that there's that one page where the before and after page, and Mogumo's in, in the, the skirt and the blouse holding the bag in front of them, and it just looks like such a terrible costume. It looks like they've been put in a cosplay <laughs> they hate, and they're just like, when does this come off of me? Mm-hmm. And there's like a few like moments to talk about their fashion choices, and Kotone like criticizes because of the shabby things Magumo typically buys, and they're like, no, no, these are vintage, they're amazing. I think that happens in chapter two, and oh, chapter two also has them making new costumes. They're doing a kind of a Chinese kind of theme, so they're doing custom costumes, and they have a character who actually does cosplay, and Kotone helps to actually help manufacture the costumes. But you'll actually see Mogumo yeah. alter the costume design for theirs. It was initially going to be a skirt, and they wanted to change the shorts and some different changes. So again, we're kind of shifting from, like, I don't specifically want this kind of feminine. I kind of like this cute stuff, though. And yeah. I really like this cute but not necessarily feminine, even the, like, angle they're taking. Yeah, I do, too. I I think that it's often a misconception that dressing in cute clothes, feminine clothes, means that you know, someone wants to be seen as, you know, really girly. But I think, you know, people should just be allowed to express themselves through their clothing and wear cute things just to be seen as cute. Yeah. Or just to, you know, wear the clothes they like. Just the inherent association that cute is feminine. Like, that's what that's yeah, what's yeah. like. I watch enough BL. I, no, no. Boys can be cute, too. <laughs> and it's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's our, our non-binary protagonist, Magumo. We met, brought up uh, Tenchan uh, in discussing okay. Mogumo. You know, Ten is the person who is kind of the cosplayer of the group. And they also really just like wearing cute clothes <laughs> and fashion. So far in this first volume, I don't know if there's too many deeper nuances to Ten, other than they are, you know, perceptive of other people. They do help Magumo alongside Mei to find clothing they like. But I do think it's interesting, like, Ten's dream one day is to be able to create, like, cute feminine clothing that, you know, people with bodies like theirs can wear comfortably mm-hmm. because, you know, girls' clothes don't fit in the right way on uh, male body types. Yeah. Generally. Overall, Ten is frankly the shallowest character in the in the manga, mm-hmm. I, I really think they're there to round out the cast. They, they, are, they are seemingly just a cis male who cosplays, who's also a very studious college student. Yeah. And they're just kind of cute and silly. But I like uh, that way that they tie into this idea of the performative aspects of gender. Because when they are describing like how they are at school as a 
kind of studio student, they describe themselves as cosplaying in that role. Aren't we all just cosplaying as hardworking individuals at work? <laughs> Pretty much. That was, that was my, I, mean, I remember posting a screenshot of that and he's like, yeah, I just cosplay as a good student. I'm like, yeah, aren't we all, man? <laughs> but I do like that. I do like how that does touch upon like the performative aspect of, you know, portraying gender or like the different ways you act in different circles. Because another character who, like, you know, dresses differently outside of question and inside question is uh, Suzu, who is gay. He has a boyfriend, but, you know, in public, they can't be open with their affections. But in question, dressing family, it sort of allows them to express their sexuality more openly. And so they really appreciate and, that. And they can also more openly in public, like, hold hands with their boyfriend and stuff. It's like, this is more normal to our society. Mm-hmm. But Suzu isn't just a gay guy wearing a dress sometimes to, like, make it easier to be with his boyfriend. Like, that that's a gross oversimplification. I'm sure some people would say that's problematic. There, there's definitely, like, a tremendous amount of femininity to... Suzu, but not in a way that yeah. I would argue is like, like transsexual or any way. But there's there's definitely like a lot of feminine femininity going on there, which they kind of overcompensate because Suzu will use ore as self-referential pronouns in Japanese, which are typically pretty masculine for this cute ponytailed mm. dork. But I yeah. love him. He's and... like a hyperactive puppy, and he's adorable. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good point to me because again, Suzu. It was wearing the clothes that he wears because he likes them too, because they're cute. And he also does like feminine things as well. So again, it's just another thing that it's like, just because you're wearing clothes traditionally considered feminine doesn't necessarily mean that you want to, you, you are feeling like a girl or you want to be seen as a certain gender, but it's just allowing you to express like yourself. Yeah. No, actually, I, I like them as a character. I wish there was more stuff about them. Their boyfriend gets mm. introduced later in the manga, and he's, like, super overprotective. Oh, well, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, he meets Tetsu, and he's like, what do you want with Suzu? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> I like in this first volume that, you know, Suzu is perceptive of Tatsu's developing feelings for Mogomo, and does try to lend kind of, like, a... Helpful ear as he, you know, talks about his problems. I love every single face Suzu makes in that series of panels. <laughs> like the head on the table and then jumping up all excited. Oh, yeah. At the prospect of going with a double date, oh, yeah. but then saying, oh, well, then Mogu will see how great my boyfriend is. I don't know. You and might then... look like a loser next to my boyfriend. Maybe, yeah. you, maybe you should go alone. <laughs> God, it's just like, it's just so like, I love my boyfriend. If wife if wife guy is a term, is boyfriend boy a thing? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> yeah, Susie is, Susie is a lot of fun. I guess, have we gone through every character in question? I think the other character introduced in the first volume is Kotonoe, who is Mogu's childhood friend. And they are very, you know, overprotective of Mogomu. And as the first volume comes to, like, a close, we kind of get a sense that her feelings towards Mogumu aren't, like, completely benevolent. Like, she does see Mogumo as, like, sort of, like, she loves Mogumo and she sees them as a way to kind of have 
a straight relationship in a sense. Yeah, Katone to to Katone, Marumo is Plan B. Yeah, she feels that being a woman who loves other women is not really possible in her society. So she is deeply closeted. She does crush on other women, and you'll see that in some really gut wrenching scenes in Chapter Three. Sorry, uh, sorry, in Volume Two. But it just keeps not working out. The girls she crushes on get boyfriends, and she is like empty and lonely inside, and feels it's completely hopeless. But Mugumo, Mugumo's not a boy. But Megumo's not mm. a girl, so then they wouldn't be lesbians. Mm. So there is like an yeah. unhealthy kind of plan B fixation on Megumo. Because Katone doesn't seem particularly ro- actually romantically interested in it. It's just, this is there. Yeah. So they, they kind of sort of crush on Megumo. Not that they really have any kind of romantic relationship on there, but they want one. And they get really jealous as Tetsu, as Tetsu actually starts formulating a relationship with Mo. Mm-hmm. And it, it's 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 an amazing scene. That was at the end of volume one, right? Where basically Katono's like, if I can't be happy in our homophobic world, I'm not gonna let you be fucking happy either. And yeah, I'm like, I've yeah. seen that kind of Man. self-destructive stuff from queer people. There, there's a few things here I've seen, like actual in like queer discourse. And yeah, people who are who feel denied and like forced into the closet can be quite not have terribly healthy attitudes on other people who actually get to have what they want. Yeah, I think that is another interesting aspect of the manga that we don't often see in manga is that it does address kind of the internal conflict in the queer community between different groups who, you know, have certain biases or resentment for other parts of the community, which is kind of an unfortunate but still real aspect of it. Well, very much so. Uh, you saw it also earlier in Volume 1 when May is talking with Magumo about their, their ex-gender status. Because mm-hmm. May basically says, like, I don't get this. I just want to be a girl, and I really don't get you. But I don't think you're a bad person, but I don't understand this. And again, it's like, I've seen this in queer discourse online. I've seen trans people, like, I don't get these non-binary people or what other group they just don't quite get. Yeah, when she is apologizing later, she does admit that she felt, like, jealous and a little resentful that Mogumo could claim to be neither. Mogumo gets to be who they want to be more easily. Yeah, when May couldn't, you know, outright say that, you know, she was a girl. Mm -hmm. She can only say she wanted to be a girl before. And so, yeah, that that Mogumo could outright say, like, who they are. I'm not a boy, but I'm also not a girl. Oh, mm-hmm. that, that big announcement that's like a page big in this manga. Mm-hmm. But I do like that, yeah, we do see like people unintentionally or intentionally, you know, hurt each other in small ways in the series. And so far, you know, things are patched up and people, you know, make amends. But like even Mogumu has a moment where... They call Suzu. Oh, that's really good. That's yeah. I forgot that scene. That, sorry, go for it. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, when they first hear that Suzu has a boyfriend, you know, they just say it without really thinking. And then May chastises them for saying, hey, no, that's a hurtful word. Don't that's say that. That's another thing you don't see in manga. Even in the Japanese dialogue, it was actually just a hiragana for homo. So he's like, are you a homo, Suzu? And it says that even in the Japanese. Like, that's the exact like, like word as a Japanese loan word they use. And, and like, yeah, like, May is like, we don't use that word here. I'm like, oh, we've never seen that in a manga either. I have never been like, oh, no, yeah. that's a hurtful term for that, for people like that. 
Mm-hmm. Again, I've never seen that kind of correction in, in Japanese manga, and I would like to see more of it. Mm. Oh, yeah. I would love to someday be like, well, this manga kind of started getting into that stuff, but it's been like 10 years since then, and there's other stuff that goes way deeper into pure culture and is much more grounded. But this is like an amazing like early first step, I'd say. Mm. Most definitely. That, that, most that was definitely. a really interesting scene to me because we, but before that, we had just spent most of the first chapter with everybody just kind of assuming Mogamo's gender and s- sort of facing, mm-hmm. I guess, what uh, I don't know what you would call it, like accidental prejudice. I don't know. So it's just kind of fun, funny. It's not really the right word to use, but it's just kind of interesting how like someone who just went through that uh, sort of half prejudice kind of thing is kind of taking part in that accidental prejudice here with calling them a homo. Yeah, it seems to come from Magumo's yeah. ignorance. I don't think prior to this, yeah. Magumo had any real connections to any anyone in, in Japanese court yeah. culture. Like, Magumo seemed extremely alone. Mm-hmm. So Magumo's just never been around anyone to tell them that this is not okay. They probably heard this word used in school from peers. Those people are homos. That's the word for it. So they used the word that they learned. There was no, like, malicious intent Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, it was just unintentionally saying a hurtful thing. Just because that is what kind of is passed down through the culture. And then May hits them with a book. Yeah. Or was it a tray? <laughs> it was either a tray or a book. But yeah, it's like, I'm I mean, sorry. I mean, the way, yeah. the way you explained it, yeah, that, that that makes a lot more sense. But when, when I first read that, I was just like, oh, wow, that was just really easy for them. Yeah. This book is easy. Like, most of the problems mm-hmm. through this series, most problems are generally dealt with through either self-acceptance or understanding. Like, they do wrap up plot lines fairly cleanly. This... And in a way, I think that's good because it's like shows these these things these people deal with, but also they can they can make lives that are not miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it yeah, also means this I, manga isn't what I would call trauma porn, where it's just like everything mm-hmm. sucks, and once you finish reading this, you'll want to kill yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's optimistic. I think it's yeah. I think there's a lot of value in having just like kind of a nice, empathetic story that is about queer culture and. Uh, issues in the community and explores those characters and it doesn't have to be tragic it can be celebratory and it can be you know very inspiring hopeful and relatable it it has its gut punches but yeah everything everything gets wrapped up generally pretty neatly the most recent chapters mm-hmm. in japanese do deal with magumo's like highly dysfunctional family mm-hmm. and i have no idea how we're going to cleanly wrap that up but i'm eager to find out mm-hmm. that is just extremely broken mm. Uh, I mean, in this first volume, Mogumo lives alone and Kotone comes to visit them. So there is a sense that they are estranged from their family. Yeah. So that is something like I'm really interested in learning more about. Yeah, you don't you won't learn about that until if you're if you're only following the English release volume four, which it seems like they're doing one every six months. So you could be waiting a while for that. I think the next volume comes out in October. Yeah, that's for volume two. Yeah. No, I, w- I was going to ask. So, 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 is this series like still going on? Yep. Yeah, it's still being published every month on Comic Medu. Okay, that's interesting. Let's, let's talk about that real quickly. This comic is actually yeah. for free online in Japanese. It is a service yeah. called Comic Medu. Medu. I think it's an abbreviation because M E as a capital and then D U is also capitalized. I don't know. C O M I C hyphen M E D U dot com. They have a bunch of other comics. And Fukuboku, I guess I shouldn't call it that. We haven't addressed the name of the series yet, other than the English term. Oh, yeah. 
But I mean, if you want to okay. talk about the original Japanese right. title, because I was also curious uh, how you feel about like the localized title, because this is like the same kind of meaning and intent uh, in your opinion. Uh, so the Japanese title is is Fukakai Nabuku no Subateo, which is generally abbreviated to Fukaboku, which is, in mm. my experience, the easiest term to Google in Japanese. Mm-hmm. It was on the on the Japanese books as well. It is put into English as "Love me for what I am," which I really think is just a slightly rough Japanese translation from the phrase "Love me for who I am," which is a common phrase in English. Mm-hmm. Which also means "Love me for who I am" is not very good for search engines or trying to find who's talking about it in Twitter or such, because that phrase is used mm-hmm. by people all over the world for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, some SEO confusion there. I mean, love me for what I am. That You're confusing that with a Carpenter song right there. Yeah. I don't think there's a big difference between what or I. I definitely works better in English. Mm-hmm. I feel like love me for what I am. I can't explain it, but like that just sounds... A little less depersonalized. It impersonal. A yeah. little. Yeah. It makes it sound like you're you're not even loving them as a person. Almost. Yeah, what what is like how you address kind of like a thing it feels who is like yourself it is a, it is more about you know being a person in personhood yeah. i'm sure it sounded great to japanese speakers i mean yeah yeah i i, yeah. I would personally attribute it to yeah like you know japanese people aren't always good at english and i'm certain the actual phrasing in japanese for the japanese title works just fine yeah exactly but yeah, I can understand why Seven Seas changed it. Yeah, I I, I think Love Me For yeah. Who I Am is, I think it's definitely a better title, personally. Yeah. It's just not terribly good for searching up on Twitter to see who's talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't realize the series was still going. I I was just kind of under the impression that it was, uh, it was similar to something like Our Dreams at Dusk, where it was just like already completed or close to finishing. Nope, I don't know when it's going to end or how many chapters it's going to be. So, like I was saying, you can actually read this for free, legitimately, in Japanese on Comic Medu. But they have an interesting process to how they release it. The first two chapters of the series, which date back to the middle of 2018, are available. But then only the most recent four chapters are available. So, basically, more recent chapters eventually get retired. And the only way you can read them in Japanese is to buy the books. Or in English, is mm. you have to buy the books anyway. Because we don't do web publishing a manga in English a lot mm. in the West. Yeah, it's basically how the Shonen Jump app and Manga Plus mm. work. And, like, the first couple chapters are available, latest couple are available. Want to catch up? Uh, with comic... Yeah, I mean, with the Wiz app, at least you can uh, subscribe to get all the chapters, but with this, it's like, you gotta buy the volumes for the stuff that you've missed yeah. out on. So it's kind of published monthly, like a webcomic would be. They're at 21 chapters now. They seem to release one chapter every month, unless they take a month mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. I've been buying the Japanese books, because at first I didn't think this was going to get scanlated. And I realized I love this so much, and I wanted to support the artist. The weekend I started reading this manga, I was ordering Volume 1 from Amazon Japan. <laughs> which isn't terribly expensive from buying manga for, frankly. Mm. Excellent. Even with shipping, I'm assuming? It came to about $20 Canadian to buy a single volume. Mm. Because the books are only like 700 yen. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, I know the books are pretty cheap. Manga books are really cheap, yeah. But I mean, if you're going to get like a few volumes at once, it's, you're probably paying less per book than you would in the West for an English book. Oh, yeah, book, for sure. Except those books are in English. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, 
it was incredibly queer and I wanted to support this and I'm basically reading pirate scanlations anyway. So like, hang on, I got to give this artist some money. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now we have, I guess we can talk about the English release coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I read through this first volume yesterday and I mean, I need, I need to read more stuff from Seven Seas because like, I never have a problem with the way Seven Seas translates their stuff. I, I found this comic like very readable, both in terms of the art and just the way it was translated. Like I was never really like confused about anything. Hmm. Yeah, they do great work. And Seven Seas has pretty much been trailblazing getting more LGBTQ oh, absolutely. plus titles. I mean, they have really created the market for it thanks to their work with Nagata Kabi's manga, Our Dreams at Dusk. Like, I really, really appreciate oh, what yeah. they've been doing. And yeah, they were the ones I was, I started filling out their questionnaire every month for what you want to see get licensed, like immediately after I started reading this. And I'm doing threads and then I would do whatever a new English scanlation would come out. I'd do a thread on it. This is what's happening. This is my commentary. So I really think you put all this queer, these like little snapshots of the super queer stuff and other people are interested. Like, oh, oh, I got to go see this. Mm-hmm. And I think that culminated when I'm, uh, oof. When the chapter where they actually go to Tokyo Pride comes out, I'm like, oh my god, guys, look, look, there is Pride. And going back super quickly to talking about whether or not these characters, how much these characters know about queer culture, is in that chapter there's flyers for this like LGBT rainbow parade, and it actually says LGBT in the Japanese text. And the characters at the cafe are like, what does LGBT mean? And I'm, I don't know how well the term is known in general understood in Japanese culture, or if it's only like a Japanese queer thing, which has obviously been loaned from Western queer culture. But then another character is explaining what LGBT is. And there's this amazing panel where you have, it's nothing but Japanese text, but there's L, G, B, and T in the dialogue they're saying. <laughs> and if anyone's ever told you that, like, it's like, oh, it's those Western translators who, like, are putting this stuff in oh, manga. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. check these out. I have, like, four different panels with just LGBT written in complete in Japanese. Like, yeah. So the characters are learning, yeah. and, and then a character explains the rainbow flag. Which doesn't look terribly good in black and white, by the way. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah, just showing that stuff to people, it's just like, you guys gotta look at this. Yeah. Like explaining and discussing, you know, the queer community in Japan is just awesome. I, I would give this book to like queer kids in the West. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to have this out. It's, it's, it's optimistic. Mm-hmm. It's generally looking at different kinds of gender identity and sexuality. And it's like, it's kind of candy coated in how cute and how everything gets wrapped up. So it's, Really approachable. Yeah. It's a very kind-hearted series. So it feels validating reading it. So I spend about a year on social media just talking about this manga, hoping to see it get licensed. I think I tagged about manga a few times. But you never know what's going to get licensed. And it is an extremely queer thing that makes it very, very niche. And that means it's like, well... Maybe it's too queer and not like aligned enough with more BL, which is kind of safer because you have like that whole like yaoi fangirl Fujoshi audience who would pick that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And about the time when chapter 16 came out, I think that that's when Go Manga announces their license. And I think I emailed them immediately and said, hey, can I buy 50 copies so I can give them away to panel? <laughs> and and that's how I start emailing discussions with with seven C's. And they're like, we're sorry, we can't give you we can't sell you 10, 50 copies because the way it goes to a publisher. But we can give you 10 copies for free for your panel. Mm. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. So this this is the panel that didn't happen. This is going to be about mm-hmm. a week before the book and it was to release physically and electronically at the beginning of June. It would have been Anime North. Talking about this amazing queer manga. And I would have had 
copies of the manga to hand out to the audience about a week before it would have been released. Like, you could not buy this manga in the dealer's room right now, but I got it right here. Well, that didn't happen. Because a global mm. pandemic happened, and it ruined everything and killed conventions, and... Yeah. They said they're still going to send me the ten copies. That's good. And you could give them away Next at year. another time. Yeah. I have my own actual personal copy pre-ordered on Amazon, so the box, I guess, will just sit around waiting for a year until we until we have dealt with this global pandemic that has had me working at home for thir- three weeks now. Three months, sorry, now. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you're still planning to do a panel on the series uh, later this year, Yeah, I year, think right? we're at a prime time to get people noticing this. So a BL-oriented con called FujoCon has popped up. It's going to be the weekend of July 11th, I believe. 11th or 10th. And yeah, since I was like, well, I was going to do a panel anyway. We're going to do a live stream panel, so prove it. Yeah, Friday the 10th of July until Sunday the 12th. Typical just like streaming panels and stuff. We saw like prototyped with uh, anime lockdown and a few other things that have followed since. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm going to attempt to talk about this for a 50 minutes in a uh, streaming presentation from my living room, which I will decorate to look like an actual crappy hotel panel room. So I want that authentic convention experience. <laughs> I mean, hey, we, we've, we've done a good job of talking about this for 50 minutes so far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I'm dominating the conversation right now, and I apologize if I'm talking over people. No, that's great. I mean, that's why we invite you on, because, you know, you're the expert. I'll hopefully get some codes from maybe Bookwalker to actually hand out some free copies in the middle of the panel, because obviously I can't hand out copies. Because, yeah, like, uh, I guess I should have said earlier, the digital release came out in June 3rd this year, but due to the whole global pandemic we're dealing with at the moment, the physical release was delayed until the 30th of this month. Mm-hmm. So I've technically not bought this manga yet. I have preview PDF files from GoManga, but I don't actually own a copy that I've actually paid for yet until the 30th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, besides the Japanese edition. Of yeah, of course. course. I mean, I think Kata's gotten enough money from me. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if they ever do they do autograph sessions when the new books come out I, I think it wouldn't overlap my hopeful trip for Japan in October I think their next volume comes out in August in Japanese it would be great though to be lined up for the autograph and be like oh yeah can you sell my, Jap- my English copy which I've brought 5,000 kilometers to this country <laughs> that'd be awesome right <laughs> we'll see if a trip to Japan even happens in October considering everything going on in the yeah, world yeah we'll have to see mm-hmm Hopefully you get an opportunity. Well, the trip will happen at some point, but I don't know about October. I'm at like 30, 70 against for that happening. Hmm. I mean, I, I guess at this point, do we do we have any other stray thoughts we want to kind of get out there before uh, before we maybe start to wrap up here soon? Or Well, I love the art of this series a lot. It's very cute, which is very appropriate, but also quite expressive. We talked a lot about you know, the great expressions. Mm. Yeah. There are some great exaggerated, like, uh, hyper-exaggerated emotions like that, but there are also some nice subtle emotions in the series that are really well-communicated to eyes and facial expressions. I really, really appreciate it. I like, like it when really they freak out. wonderfully drawn. Yeah. I love when uh, Megumo gets, like, frantic or excited and their pigtails, like, become Pikachu. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I love every, that every, detail, like, yeah. super Adorable. deformed Megumo is great. Uh that's so great. I like the touches on the different clothing styles that the characters Yeah, there's wear. been a fair bit of effort done in the fashion, except maybe Tetsu, who just yeah. shows up in, like, a dress shirt every day. Yeah, I mean, I like that there are some clearly recognizable characters in this world that we sh- that 
show up again, like the beach bear, like this Winnie the Pooh bearess kind of character mm-hmm. is on a shirt that Ten wears and a shirt that Mokumo wears. Uh, so I like that there's like a lot of attention put into the world building of the series too, or like the culture in this. World. It's not full of fan service or anything. I think there's one fan service panel. Yes, it's where the shirtless Magumo is like, you don't think of me as a, bo- mm. as a boy, do you? Or is it a girl? Was is- I have the Japanese book in front of me. I'm sorry. I wouldn't even consider that fan service. It's the closest like, sure thing Magumo- to fan service. Yeah. It's definitely the most skin we've seen in this manga. Definitely, definitely. But I think it's the scene is more about Magumo is asking Tatsu like how yeah. they see them as. And it's kind of expressing that sense of ambiguity of like... Well, how does Tatsu perceive Mugumo mm-hmm. as? Like, and why is he acting uncomfortable being in the same room as Mugumo and embarrassed to see them undress? Because mm-hmm. that is making Mugumo kind of worried and anxious, but also Tatsu is kind of not sure why he's reacting the way he is at mm-hmm. that moment, too. So I think it's a really well done scene. I do love Mugumo's fashion sense. Oh, yeah. Every stupid-looking graphic t-shirt they pull out whenever they're not in either school uniform or the maid uniform. It's just like, that is so unique and sloppy, and but they clearly love this yeah. stuff. Yeah, Mogumo loves, like, nerdy, cute stuff. It's apparently all vintage. It's all from, like, thrift stores or vintage stores. <laughs> there, there's a few points of dialogue on that. And also looking at the Pixiv box for the artist, like, that, that's where Mogumo likes to shop. Like, it's just weird stuff that's, like, ten years out of date. Mm-hmm. But it's what that they, they can like. probably get for cheap. But no, that's yeah. interesting because, like, I like I'm I'm looking at the title page now for chapter four, and uh, it it really made me wonder, like, is Mogumo a, a secret otaku as well? Maybe, possibly. <laughs> I just noticed if you if you look really closely around their hat, I don't know if it's like a little earring or like uh, or something, but like you could you could see Char. From uh, Gundam under their hat. Oh yeah, it is sure. <laughs> You're right. Oh, <laughs> I, awesome. I I like just noticed that. Oh yeah, I thought that was a pretty oh, good yeah. find. There's like a Dragon Quest looking like plush pillow in the background too. It seems that's definitely a char though. Oh yeah, there's also a very char. common writer looking character in the background too. They do play video games a lot. They're they like. There's a scene in somewhere in, Ch- in volume two where they're discussing what they did on their on their vacation, and Magoo was like, "I played video games." <laughs> That's it. I played video games for a week. Uh, they are adorable, but yeah, I mean, I love the art, and you know, I love all the characters. I I love just this entire ensemble, and then the way that they each you know are exploring a different aspect of their gender and sexuality, and I. Really appreciate with May that she has kind of like an older mentor, you know, someone to look up to in Tatsu's sister in Sachan. I like, I really like the scene where Sachan is wearing her bra and like she's saying, Hey, I haven't worn this in a long time, but like they make me feel good about myself because I'm a girl. And then she offers to help May out. So I, I like that a nudge of a relationship forming between them too. Oh, I'm just going to say, yeah, and that goes into, again, we're talking about stuff I poorly understand about Japanese queer culture. But like a, trans, a lot of trans people in Japan, it'll actually be like several years before they can start hormone replacement therapy, mm. which is why these trans characters are basically completely flat-chested, or, and why the bra mm. thing is more significant. And 
Again, I have to concede I don't completely understand that scene. But it's not just like, oh, we're cross-dressing and wearing padded bras. There's more nuance to that. And, hmm. Okay. And God, I wish I understood right. that stuff better. But at least I'm like seeing it enough in a manga where I don't understand it. And I know there's more to this. Yeah, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, like, I really liked the first volume of this. I definitely want to read more of it. Definitely it's the kind of thing I really enjoyed about something like Our Dreams at Dusk, which we talked about previously, where it's like, I, I just appreciate it being like a, like a series where we get to explore all these different, like, kind of, uh, hopefully get the, you know, experience all these, like, different walks of life, you know, whether whether mm-hmm. someone's trans or non-binary, or they just like the cross-dress, you know, whatever, what, what, whatever it is that they are. You know, I, I just I just like exploring these different kinds of character types. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. about as much as I can say about this. Other than I'm I'm amazed and super glad it actually did get licensed. It means I can buy copies and share them with other people. And once that was re- re- released in English, everyone on Twitter that I like started talking about it again. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> not everyone's just going to sit at their computer and read scanlations. And you can now buy it in a bookstore. You could pick it up at a dealer's room at a convention. I can throw copies of people at a panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely support this release. Not only to support the manga itself, but also in general, just to support getting more of these kind of books out here, licensed and translated, because this is such a great story. And I'm really glad we're getting more manga that are like about deeper like lgbtq topics that are being discussed in the stories and i was really excited for this i'm really enjoying this i can't wait to read more volumes and i think this is like a great trend for more manga like this being written published and being brought over mm-hmm. seas as well i want to say I, I got into anime and manga about 20 years ago because it looked like stuff i had never seen before it was just so completely different from the kinds of cartoons and TV shows I was used to yeah. watching around 2000, 2001. But when you're in this anime fandom for about 20 years, eventually everything starts looking like everything else. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. so much stuff I look at has looked very much the same. And this is one of the few experiences I've had with the manga. I'm like, wow, wow, this looks like something I've never seen before. And I like having that feeling again. Now I'm seeing stuff and I've never seen in a manga before. And being addressed in ways I'm not used to seeing it being addressed. I love this. I love having that feeling again. Yeah, ha- having having that ex- having that experience mm. with something you've never experienced before that becomes a very rare feeling. I I, I understand that. Mm. So maybe the magic isn't dead yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this is definitely like one of those series that makes you really excited about manga, like as a storytelling medium, and like the kinds of stories that can be told. And that are being told now. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think we can't recommend Love Me For Who I Am enough. Definitely go out and support this release. And definitely keep following Ashley for more updates about the series and discussion of new chapters in general. Promotion of it. Yep, I'm mostly posted around Twitter. You can usually find me as like Ashley Fujoshi Princess on Twitter. You search that up. I'm usually mm-hmm. not too hard to find in the, in the depths of Anna Twitter usually screaming about boys kissing or old computers I play with. (laughs) Yeah, but we really want to thank you for coming on and talking about this with us. Not a problem? Yeah, and now I will probably head into our wrap-up of the show. Mm -hmm. You've got to love me for what I am for simply being me Don't love me 
Thanks once again to Ashley for coming on the show to talk about Love Me For Who I Am with us. Again, the series is available in digital and in print, so pick up a copy of Volume 1 and look forward to Ashley's panel at FujuCon uh, on July 10th, 11th weekend. We'll definitely leave a link to FujoCon in the show notes. Definitely go check that out when it goes live. And now we're going to head into our community shoutouts. But before we do that, I have kind of a more serious piece of news to address that is not necessarily like a shoutout. It's more of a call out or rather a call to action. So in the past week or so, there has been a lot of people in the comics industry that have been outed as sexual predators and have been exposed and there's opened up a whole new wave of conversation discourse but also a movement to get predators and abusers out and that has continued into the animation industry and continued into specifically animation and art schools. So I went to a place called the School of Visual Arts. And there was a teacher there named uh, Don Pointer, who I had in my junior year, who had a reputation. People said that his classes, oh, they were so the best. But he had another reputation that was kind of whispered around that I didn't learn about until after his class, but probably should have seen the warning signs while I was in, that Don had a history of predatory behavior towards his female students and very abusive behavior, too, towards students he didn't like. And honestly, I was on the abusive end of that, that kind of my own self-hatred at the time did not really recognize, but only in retrospect I can. But... You know, finally, there was a push in this past week in the hashtag FuckSVA to finally oust Don Pointer and make SVA do something about it to get him out. And after a few days of campaigning with a lot of people speaking up, sharing their experiences, creating like a doc, a Google doc that lists over two dozen different experiences of Don's abusive behavior towards students, SVA did finally terminate Don, but then they issued a statement that it's not really much of an apology towards the students. Basically, they take credit for getting Don out, despite details of Don's abuse. People speaking up about it have been going back past a decade. But then in their email to students and the community, they say, oh, our new chair did such a great job of listening to students and getting him out. And, oh, we were already planning not to have Don back on staff in the fall. But we just waited not to announce it because, oh, we have to shift attention to COVID concerns. And that is obviously a load of crap. Because Don's faculty page was not taken down until a day before they issued this announcement. And 
there is a transcript of a conversation of a student with the new chair of the film and animation department uh, at SVA, like a transcript of their conversation where it is very clear at several points during the conversation that she was trying to steer the conversation into a territory where there is reasonable doubt about Don's activities. Rather than listening to the student voice their concerns, she was bringing a devil's advocate arguments about, oh, we can't know for sure. Maybe it was this not what you're saying. It very clearly, obviously is. And so it was a very disappointing response, considering just two years ago, there was a huge thing at SVA. During my final semester when I graduated, there was like a huge change up where two other notorious sexual predatory teachers at the school were petitioned to be finally fired. And then the chairman of the film and animation department at that time, Reeves Lemon, covered up for them. And then finally people had enough. Reeves also had a history of allegations accusations and allegations against him and finally we were able to petition to get him out of the department chair but it seems like the new administration the new chair it still was dragging its feet on all these other bad people on staff hurting students and don pointer isn't the only one because there are ton of other people on Seventh Day who have a history of abusive behavior. There's another entire doc listing over a dozen, two dozen different teachers at the school that people have had really horrible experiences with. And so SVA needs to do a whole lot better. And there's a petition going around that you can sign to make SVA make a better statement, make them more accountable, and get all these other bad teachers listed in the document accountable and hopefully fired and terminated. But this was a deep-rooted problem. I mean, Don Pointer wasn't just a big teacher at the school. He was like a huge part of that film and animation department. So it was really hard to get him out because he was not only in charge of a class that you had to take. It was required. There was no other teacher for this class, this layout and design class. You had to take it in order to graduate. You had to pass that class. But also, Don was on the thesis committee, so he was one of the people who judged your thesis and decided whether you graduated school. So he had a lot of power. And he also had a reputation for producing high-quality work out of students. You know, he was the advisor on Rebecca Sugar's thesis film. He was her thesis advisor. So he used a lot of those connections that clout to also trick and lauded over students and then kind of forced them into not speaking up against him. And then, of course, his own connections with faculty and staff prevented him from getting out until finally there's been enough of a push to make that happen. But there are also tons of other students who, you know, I've spoken up about other teachers at the school and a lot of other kind of powerful teachers at the school still haven't been made accountable and been taken out. And so students are still in danger. So 
uh, this is my call in action to like read up on the fuck SVA hashtag, you know, support the petition if you can, and also help lobby for SVA to make amends for students and create a better environment of learning for them, a safer environment. And so this was something obviously personal to me that I felt I needed to speak up about because, again, I went to school there. I had Don as a teacher and was on the brunt of his abuse firsthand, uh, not as severe as a lot of other people who were women and femme-presenting people who had sexual abuse encounters with Don. But I'm glad that finally Don is out, but there are other teachers who need to be taken out and SV needs to be made more accountable. So I need to get that out up front. And now we're going to seg into our community shoutouts and kind of related to doing more actionable work in the community. BMC, the Black Monk Credit, has a great trilogy of vlogs on his channel that he did in the past month called Doing Your Work about the proper way to listen to what is going on and not only just try and pay lip service to the social change, not just doing the bare minimum, but actually going out there and making actionable change and calls to action and ways to do that. And I thought those were great videos, great vlogs that I really wanted to shout out. In terms of another video actually exposing like an abusive predatory person in the community, uh, Bedhead Bernie, he has a new YouTube channel name, but that's the name I knew him by. He actually made a video about someone who was manipulating people working for Vibzipog. And Vibzipog is another SVA alum who was actually kind of a senior when I was there. So that's another connection. But, you know, they were abusing people, manipulating them who were working for Vibzipog to do work for them and also was stealing the work and portfolios of other artists, namely the creator of Mighty Magistrates, Kyle and passing them off as their own work in their job applications. So that was a great video that uh, Bernie made, kind of exploring that entire situation, how that person kind of operated in the community, and just a good call out to be aware and warned about bad eggs like that. So I also want to give mention to that. Then to move on into kind of more lighter topics, you know, fun things, doing great work. Actually, we do want to circle down to Love Me for Who I Am and Anime Herald's work promoting the series. Ashley did a great piece talking, you know, kind of like we discussed on this episode, exploring like what is so unique about the series approach to gender and LGBTQ topics in such an open way and why that's so special. There was also a great article by Kat Callahan that identifies and looks at the language use in Love Me For Who I Am, kind of breaking down some of the terms used like Otoko Noko, the history behind the term, how it's used in the context of the series, and then how other language is used and how characters use it and apply it to themselves. And so it's a great look at like the nuances of language and how it can be used for gender expression, particularly in the Japanese language, as well as a great analysis on each of the specific characters and their attachment to the term otoko noko in particular, but also other pronouns and ways of expressing their gender identity. 
So those were really fantastic pieces on Love Me For I Am. And again, look out for Ashley's panels at FujoCon. I also want to head into... Oh, uh, another Anime Herald piece that was really great was actually a really great overview of queer anime in general, kind of using Stars Align as a basis from last year because Stars Align explored LGBTQ teams in a really great way. And so... It also looked at the history of terms like non-binary, ex-gender, and how portrayals of queerness have been portrayed and explored in anime from examples, you know, dating back all the way to stuff like Princess Night and then into Sailor Moon. And then looking at a lot of different series, looking at BL Yuri Mangi queer manga and how queer LGBT characters have been depicted and portrayed. And so that's another really great article and look on LBGQ representation in anime. And kind of related to stuff that explores gender in a really interesting way, Faye Hopper had a great review of Beastars Volumes 3 and 4 on Anime News Network that I really thought was great, kind of looking on Beastars' allegories for gender discrimination between the carnivore and herbivore groups and then other metaphors that the series is employing. I thought that was a really fantastic analysis and article. And then in a similar vein, Rebecca Silverman had a great review of the Poe clan that also kind of put in a great context of other fiction that explore themes of characters locked in time who are immortal and never aging, but also analyzing the relationships between the characters and how queerness is explored in that as well. And then just other really great literary references that they are able to glean from that that I would never picked up on myself, having not read some of the similar work in that genre. So I thought that was another fantastic review. And also another really great piece from ANN that I want to shout out is a piece kind of exploring like you know there was also this thing about like some uh, con person was like asked about why they don't invite on more people of color guests and they had a really shitty response so evan minto wrote this piece on ann basically kind of debunking this whole idea that there aren't enough black guests people of color guests that there isn't a demand for people of color guests at conventions and then detailing how conventions can do better to be more inclusive and to invite more people of color as guests which i thought was really great and actually there is one more a and n piece that i gotta mention and that's caitlin moore's review of my son koku which really got to the heart of what is great about the central relationship between godai and kyoko what makes mitaka a good foil for Godai in the series and generally just what makes the series so special in terms of like a coming of age romance story featuring adult protagonists. Then I also want to shout out uh, some pieces from Anime Feminists. There was this really funny piece on Nekopara from Chiaki that kind of took it seriously like the system of basically these cat girls as pets but also a labor force in the world of that series and the quote-unquote nekomic system in the series and how exploitative it is and she ended it the article with a call to end capitalism meow so the entire article is really funny and worth it for that punchline alone 
There was also a really good chatty ass podcast uh, that was headlined by Peter, but also had Chiaki and Feon that looked at some Shonen Jump manga, which was really cool. They looked at kind of some series that haven't been adapted into anime yet. I very much appreciated that they really like Matama Security. I like to see more love shown Matama Security's way. Yeah. That was a good surprise. Really thought that was a good listen. Brought up some really good points on other series and how what they're doing well, what is problematic about them in some aspects for certain series that you can think of that are obviously have problematic elements that might turn people off like a Gravity Boys and Undead Unluck. But yeah, that was a good one. Then, speaking of podcasts, I want to shout out Mirin and the Good Friend Anime Club's new Doro Hedoro podcast, where they're going to be reviewing both the manga and the anime, so I'm super excited for that. It was a great listen, and we're definitely going to have Mirin on our own Doro Hedoro podcast in the near future, so very excited for that. But also, want to give an early shout out to the Octodge podcast, which Marion's going to be part of, but also the entire DSP crew, the Star podcast crew, is making an Act Age podcast of so V-Lord Sakaki. They're going to be talking about chapters of the series a month at a time, also new volumes. So that's really super exciting as well. Really, really excited to see some Octodge love being put out there. So that's really, really great. I mean, I mean, V-Lord's got to do something now that Demon Slayer is over. Well, Demon Slayer podcast is also still continuing, but V-Lord is working on tons of different podcast projects right now. I really admire the dude's hustle, because not only that, he's doing reviews, he has, like, full-time jobs, like, he's doing a lot. But, oh, actually, in terms of other podcasts, I also do want to mention the Deep End's latest two anime-related episodes on Blue Sub number 6, which is a show I watched to have context before the podcast and really, really enjoyed it. I can't believe I hadn't watched it before, but they did a good job exploring the themes of that series, its messages, like, where it stands in the context of, like, late 90s or 2000s OVAs and how remarkable it was that something as dark and mature as that was able to be aired on Cartoon Network in, like, the afternoon. Which was really fantastic, but also they did an episode on Shin Chan, which I also rewatched to have context to, you know, listen to that. And they did a good job of swearing about how it doesn't hold up in many ways, but also putting in the context of Evan Dorkin's career and it being kind of one of the last projects he did for Adult Swim, and also where Shin Chan fits in the comedy culture that was very bro and sexist in the mid-2000s and how that kind of humor hasn't aged well. And also this phenomenon of parody fan loose dubs at the time that also probably fed into Shin-Chan being the way it is, coming out like it was. And they even had a good conversation out of like a moment from the show. I actually brought to her attention on Twitter that had, was a scene involving Vic Mignogna and kind of going over again, like why that humor is really uncomfortable and also the politics behind like how that may have been written into the script and cast. And it was a very interesting kind of exploration of that in general of like comedy dubbing and the culture at Funimation. So I appreciated that a lot. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I listened to that episode too, and I, I thought that was a very good discussion. Yeah, and finally, I have some YouTube videos I want to shout out. Actually, bringing it back to Beastars, the Canopy Effect did a really great video looking at the directors of Beastars, exploring like how they use several different techniques to capture a style of pacing that would have worked better in animation than simply replicating what the manga did on its own would have been, particularly the split-screen effects but also looking into the history of that stop motion opening and how that came to be and like the work that went into the those marionettes which i really appreciated that look into and insight in and then finally i want to shout out a person who doesn't normally dig into anime and that's kind of the point of their new series a uh, dan merle used to be like a huge correspondent on screen junkies i love this show charting with dan that detailed box office reports every weekend dan has left screen junkies and is doing his shows now on his own youtube channel including the charting show which has been really interesting as he's kind of been looking back at past box office performances and like streaming service platforms and how movies are performing on there in lieu of, you know, having box office numbers to report and analyze. And that's been really interesting. But Dan has also started a new movie watching series specifically called Dan Explores Anime. He's starting with Studio Ghibli films. He started with My Neighbor Totoro. And as someone who's always been a fan of Dan's uh, reviews, I'm really excited to see him dig into the world of Ghibli and anime. And he had some great thoughts on Totoro and really picked up on a lot of great nuances in the animation and in the acting particularly in observing the differences between sub and dub versions of the movie, which, you know, was really great to see his perspective on as like a first time anime watcher, basically. So really, really excited to see Dan explore more of the Ghibli films and then explore the world of anime out from there. And then last of all, this isn't totally anime related, but I really liked the angry video game nerd James's recent Aqua Teen Hunger Force video that kind of gave a history of the show from like the early William Street work on Adult Swim and actually on Space Ghost and then how that ended up in Aqua Teen and some of the unique stuff about Aqua Teen but also a really interesting personal experience he had with Dave Villas where he asked Dave Villas like what programs he used to edit the show and Dave told him Photoshop just Photoshop it do anything like and that really left an impression on James and made him realize, oh, it's not about the equipment. You can use anything to make something creative and great. And that influences work on early angry video game nerds. So I thought that was a really interesting anecdote and it was a really cool retrospective on that series. So a lot of shout outs I wanted to give. A lot of things have been coming out. But yeah, definitely recommend all of those and definitely check them out. And you have some this time too, Colton. Yeah, yeah, I had a few that I'll uh, I'll just kind of get out there as quick as I can here. So first things first, I know I know I mentioned Grant a lot and I promise Grant isn't like uh you know uh bribing me to you know plug him as much as I do. I uh, I talk about him a lot because you know not only is he uh, like a I I consider him a good friend of mine at this point and I also do other podcasts with him every once in a while, but I, I legitimately just enjoy following him on Twitter and following whatever he does, and uh, this time is no exception because Grant is now the official 
One Piece anime review person over at Anime News Network kind of yeah. taking over for another good friend of ours, Sam, uh, who was uh, originally reviewing the One Piece anime for... He had been doing it for I don't know how long at this point. Four years. Yeah, for a while. And, uh, yeah, Grant's basically kind of taken over uh, his reviews of One Piece and... Uh, uh, I think he started off at episodes uh, nine thirteen to nine fifteen in particular. So we'll we'll leave a link in the show notes for for anyone who wants to read reviews of those episodes in particular. I I believe Luffy is fighting Kaido at that point. Yeah, honestly, I I might have to get back into the anime now that Grant's reviewing it because I'm I'm very interested in seeing him take the analysis that he used you know, in his One Piece threads while reading the manga and, and kind of using that to kind of, like, explore the anime side of things. Like, I, I'm i really, I'm really interested in reading what he thinks about the anime in particular, especially as someone who is just now getting into the anime and has mostly only read the manga. So I think that'll renew my interest in the anime just in general. Yeah, his reviews have been great so far. His enthusiasm for the material shines through and he has some great animation. Visual analysis, like, Grant has really, really translated his expertise in analyzing the art of the manga into the anime, too. And I'm super excited to read on his reviews. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely go check out Grant's reviews over at Anime News Network for one for the One Piece anime. Also, I wanted to bring up the latest episode of the Manga Machinations podcast where uh, they, they had on a manga letterer. Uh, Sarah Lindsley, who, uh, amongst a bunch of different titles, was responsible for the lettering for uh, for Sweat and Soap, which they also reviewed on that episode. And uh, I thought that was a pretty good episode. Yeah. Truth be told, we we've been we've been kind of meeting to, you know, do our own kind of lettering episode. I mean, we we've had lettering guests on the show before, but we have really. Oh yeah, we have plenty. But yeah, we plan to have a lettering-focused episode exploring the profession of lettering with a panel of great guests. We've got that, you know, planned, and hopefully, will happen this year. And so, yeah, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's something we definitely want to do in the future. So look out for that. But but until then, if you want to learn about manga lettering and what kind of goes into that. I thought this episode of the Manga Machinations podcast was a good step in the right direction there. I thought it was a very interesting episode. Uh, last but not least, I also just want to give another shout out to Totally Not Mark, who is mostly known for his like Dragon Ball content, but lately has been also getting into One Piece through the manga and has been doing uh, blind uh, read through and reviews over on over on YouTube. Uh, Again, at the time of this recording, he is up to Skypea, and uh, it's it's. I mean, just like with Grant, it's it's always really interesting to see somebody go through One Piece, especially the manga, through the first time, and it's just really fun to see like how much they enjoy the uh, pre time skip material in particular, mm-hmm. and uh, just in general, I've, I've been really enjoying his analysis on uh, on the story. You know all, all the little seeds that uh, Oda leaves in his storytelling to be uh, to be used later on. So we'll definitely leave a link to Totally Not Mark's channel for anyone who wants to uh, watch his One Piece reviews. So there you go. Yeah, a lot of great shout outs this time. A lot of great people to check out. 
there's been some amazing work that's been done in the anime manga community lately. So yeah, please check out all these amazing people. Is this possibly our longest community shoutout segment? I'm not sure. Probably. I mean, yeah, I think it is. And I think it's well-deserved because, I mean, there's been a lot of great work to shout out. Oh, I, I no, no, no disagreements here. I think that is going to about do it for the show. We probably should have mentioned this at the top of the show. Because I think on the last episode we said we were going to have our uh, our cross manage episode out, and uh, suffice to say, it's been rescheduled. Yeah, you'll see it soon. But we have some other stuff that we want to put out ahead of that. Namely, we want to get out some of the interviews that we've recorded and with some really great people out first. Namely, our review with Emma Hanashiro of Futakia. Yes. Yes. Emma, who uh, is also a listener of the podcast, which uh, I still can't believe, and uh, also provided us a lot of great feedback during our uh, manga piracy episode last year. And uh, we finally had a chance to have her on the show to just kind of talk about her manga fandom and uh, her career as an editor at Futakia. And uh, I, I thought it was a really good conversation. I really enjoyed having Emma on the show, and hopefully we can have her on again soon. But uh, yeah, that should be coming out next week, if all goes planned. But yeah, I just wanted to put out there that uh, we, we did not forget to put up CrossManage. We just kind of decided to reschedule things a little bit. But uh, CrossManage is still coming. And in general, you know, while you're waiting for CrossManage, if you are desperate to listen to some Kaito-related content... Just a little plug for our Patreon again at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. If you sign up for a $2 tier, in general, you will get to listen to early editions of the podcast whenever we have those edited, depending on when we have those edited. And uh, right now, you can you can listen to, to the entirety of our Blue Flag discussion, both our review of Volume 1 and just our discussion of the series in its entirety. So uh, if you want to listen to that early before anyone else especially now that we've had to reschedule it again that's uh, that's that's available at our two dollar tier yeah not only that i mean if you want to listen to something that'll probably be up a long time in advance listen to our our dreams at dusk retrospective and interview with jocelyn allen that's also up right now and it's gonna be a little bit before that actually comes out publicly so if you want something to listen to like long down events yeah check that out that was a fantastic one mm-hmm I guess while we're talking about a Patreon, also at the $5 tier, if you sign up for that one, you basically get access to a, a new exclusive monthly bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, we have a ton of bonus content, at least a year's worth of bonus content waiting for you. At the time of this recording, and by the time this is up, our newest monthly bonus podcast review of uh, Gengoro Takame's My Brother's Husband will be available. You know, My Brother's Husband obviously was something we talked about back in uh, in 2017 when we uh, had our good friend Maxion to talk about the first volume of that. So much time has passed since then that not only has the second volume come out, but uh, just this year, uh, we got an omnibus release of both volumes over here in North America. And uh, that's basically what we talk about on this on this bonus podcast. We we basically just got to talk about my brother's husband in its entirety 
now that we finally had the chance to kind of read the story in its entirety. Again, we had a lot of fun talking with Maxie about that. So if you want to hear our slightly more updated feelings on My Brother's Husband, spoiler alert, it's still a really good comic and you should read it. Mm-hmm. You know, again, that's at our $5 tier. You can listen to that along with a bunch of other bonus podcasts we've recorded. We have a lot of different like one-off reviews, including that and uh, our previous podcast on Nagata Kabi's My Solo Exchange Diary. Um, so yeah, again, a lot of bonus content waiting for you again at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It is basically the best way to support us if you so choose to. But uh, I guess with all that out of the way, we can finally end the show with the rest of our plugs. Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at LumRamiyasha on Twitter and as LumRamiyasha a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Anilis River. There's a LumRamiyasha. That's where you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on all-comment.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews coming out, so look forward to those. You can also check out my other podcasts like Lum Squad, a podcast devoted to the wonderful wacky world of yours, Seatra, Manga Mavericks at movies and a ton of others also on all comment to comment every podcast platform you can think of we're on there all right definitely go follow all alum stuff and listen to the lum squad podcast but as for me i'm colton uh you can uh, follow me on twitter at sniper king 323 i also host and produce a few other podcasts uh, that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com such as uh life lessons the gintama manga cast uh one podcast prevails which is a podcast i've recorded with my friend doctor about detective conan slash case closed whatever you want to call it and i again i i'm always recording something so you can find links to basically whatever i'm recording at this moment again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com but as for all comic and the podcast you know basically if, if you're if you're not a subscriber to our patreon uh you can listen to every episode of the manga mavericks podcast posted on all-comic.com That's normally where we post every episode first. Again, unless you are a backer at our Patreon at the $2 tier, you can listen to episodes early at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But we already went through all that. So as for all comic, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks in particular, uh, you want to follow our specific account at uh, manga underscore mavericks on Twitter Or you can follow us on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Those are basically the best ways to get the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot for people to to watch and listen to. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on Love Me For Who I Am? Do you have any thoughts on, uh, I don't know, any any manga that you're reading or any manga that you want us to read on the show and talk about? Email us anything about manga or the podcast uh, over at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we will read them on the show. We love getting emails, and we love reading them. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you're listening to this. We're, we're available on all sorts of podcast platforms, especially Apple Podcasts, uh, where if you uh, leave us a rating and review, it really helps the visibility of our show. It really just kind of helps us get out there to more people. You know, so just go ahead and do that if you have the time. We'd, we'd really appreciate it if you did. But that's going to be about it for this episode. 
again, this has been episode 124 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 125. Bye, guys. Sayonara. <laughs>